Hey everyone, this is Dorenda Wilson. Welcome to this week's podcast. You might know me already, but if you don't, I'm married to Daryl and we have eight kids ages uh, 14 to 27. We've been homeschooling over 23 years and this is one of my favorite places to be and that is to uh, be encouraging homeschooling families. And so I'm really grateful to be here today. I have a very special guest. I love... Uh, one of the things I like to do is to answer questions from moms and do podcasts with topics and content that matter to you. And I recently received a message from a mom who wondered if I had any experience with international adoption. Now, I don't personally have that experience. I have a friend who um, has gone through it, and my um, guest today uh, has adopted five children through the through an international adoption experience. And we're going to be talking about that uh, here in just a minute when I introduce her. The reason that I wanted to cover this topic is I wanted, first of all, to encourage those who are thinking about it, praying about it, feeling led to do it, who are in the process, um, who are maybe in that part where you're bringing the children home and trying to uh, adapt to life at home with these new children. And the second reason was to help, uh, you know, those of us who aren't going through the process, but maybe we know someone who is, um, so that we can be more knowledgeable about the process and what these families are experiencing so that we can provide effective uh, prayer support and, um, and just be able to uh, not just prayer support, but practical help as well. So, but before I dive into that, I want to let you all know that the mentoring course uh, that I do, the online mentoring course, is uh, the enrollment is open. So, if you would love to be encouraged um, in simplifying your homeschooling and honing in on what's really best for your kids, because we all know we're tempted to do it all, but we can't. And so, this particular uh, homeschooling course is based on my book, The Unhurried homeschooler. So it's the Unhurried Homeschooler Mentoring Course, and it has eight workshops. We also have a, um, those workshops are self-paced, so you can watch them at your own, uh, in your own time, whenever it works for you, at your own pace. And we also have a mentoring community page, a Facebook page that's private, where you can get um, answers to your questions from me and from other seasoned moms who've been through the course or who are going through it. Um, we have live Q&As there. I pray over everyone on Monday mornings. So I'd love for you to check that out. I will drop that link in the podcast notes. But uh, without further ado, I would love to introduce uh, my guest today. Her name is Sarah Janice Brown. She is a homeschooling mom of, get this, 10 biological children and five internationally adopted. Is that right, Sarah? That's right. And 12 <laughs> of them are girls. Oh my goodness. Oh, several of her children are also dyslexic, creative, extra active. Can anyone relate? <laughs> and can't sit still unless they are focused on one of their favorite topics. So Sarah has been on a quest to help them discover their unique passions and find joy in learning through curiosity and discovery. So over the years, she's developed a method of homeschooling that's recently become known as fun schooling. Sarah and her husband, Joshua, founded the Thinking Tree Publishing Company and created Dyslexia Games Therapy to help struggling readers overcome reading confusion. 
Sarah has published dozens of five-star homeschooling books and journals that help make homeschooling fun. She and her family are currently living in Hawaii um, and have been actually lived in the Ukraine in the past. So I'm going to just let Sarah sort of tell us about how she ended up in the Ukraine and then and then in Hawaii. And uh, so uh, take it from here. All right. Thank you. Well, um, we never intended to move to Ukraine and we never intended to adopt five children. So uh, <laughs> life has certainly been an amazing adventure. But um, when my husband and I were the parents have just uh, seven, was it eight children with one on the way. We were really feeling exhausted by the American lifestyle. Mm. And we were living in a small town. I was actually the vice president of the town council and my husband owned a computer service business. And we had eight children homeschooling. And we were just a really busy family that was trying to do it all. And we went out for coffee one day and we said, we're tired. What do we really want to do with our life? And it was our, uh, it was, I think, I don't know, our 15th anniversary or something, maybe our 14th, I can't remember. And we both said to each other, we've always wanted to be missionaries. And so we said, okay, what's it going to take to do that? And um, fast forward five months and we are missionaries in Europe. Wow. And um, it all happened really fast. And two months after we arrived at our uh, first mission field, which was Northern Italy, we uh, welcomed our ninth child into the world and um, continued serving in Italy for a year. And then my parents moved to Ukraine and were working with gypsies and orphans and church planting there. And they invited us to come join them. And so we did. And it was through, um, it was through a ministry at an orphanage that we met our five new children. Wow. And that was how long ago? Um, we moved to Italy six years ago. And uh, then we moved to Ukraine four years ago, but we had to, well, five years ago, but we had to evacuate at one point because uh, they uh, had started a war over there and there was a lot of problems. We ended up evacuating and spending a year traveling through Europe, doing some world schooling, living in Croatia, living in Portugal, living in England, went back to Florida, had another baby, and then moved back to Ukraine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. years there. Oh, my goodness. So at this point, when you moved to Ukraine this last time uh, for, you know, the, the second time, uh, how old were your children at that point? What, were the, what was the age um, range? The oldest, what, my son was 16, okay. and the baby was six weeks old. Okay. Okay. Wow. So 10 from 16 down to six months. To six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Little tiny one. Teeny tiny. So you yeah. were there for three years. Yes. Okay. And so tell us, um, I, I'd really be curious what led you to these five children and to deciding to adopt these children. So my husband and I had no idea we would have 10 children, but... Um, we love 
children. Mm. Obviously, we must. Mm. And um, when when we first talked about having a family, his idea was one or two kids and a normal life. And I wanted seven daughters. That was my dream. <laughs> you sound very similar to my husband and myself. He wanted two maybe three. I wanted yeah. 10, but I never told him. And so I tell people that, you know, he wanted two and I wanted 10 and we compromised at eight. That's, that's what we used to say, but 15 was no compromise. Right. <laughs> that sort of blew that out of the water. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, so, but after, after we had our first, my husband absolutely fell in love with babies. He always wanted another baby. Mm. And I wanted a big family, so okay. And um, I, I have difficult pregnancies with the morning sickness, but everything else is wonderful. And uh, and so we've just felt I'm. We're both really healthy, very blessed. God's providing. Okay, let's have another baby. But then after the tenth, we really felt like God was going to call us to adopt the next. And we really imagined we were going to adopt a couple of toddlers, but right. God had something else in mind. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> wow. So what brought so, you to the point of, of, you know, realizing it was going to be these five children? So um, we went to a Christmas program at the orphanage where our children were living and we hadn't started doing ministry at that orphanage yet, but a friend who was in the process of, of adopting a child from that orphanage invited us to come to the Christmas program. And there were two little girls about four, four or five years old and another one that was just a little bit older. And I looked at these two little girls and this feeling washed over me like I was looking at my own children. And it was just the strangest feeling. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't disengage my heart. Mm. And, you know, the little girls turned around and smiled. And I was looking into the eyes of my daughters. Wow. And um, I just couldn't forget that feeling. But there were no open doors to serve in that orphanage for an entire year after that experience. And I kept pushing away the idea that, these, I was going to adopt these two little girls because we were going to adopt toddlers or babies because we felt like that would be the least disruptive to our family. Right, right. Wow. So the story goes on, God was at work. And the same friend who had invited us to the Christmas program had a uh, failed adoption and the boy that they wanted to adopt was stuck in the orphanage and he was about to age out. But this boy was a very talented artist. And so my friend said, could you maybe go to the orphanage and give him some art lessons and kind of take him under your wing and help him to build a portfolio so maybe he can explore a future in illustrating? And I had taken many interns, teenagers who are talented in art, and given them an opportunity to build their portfolio through illustrating books with me. And so it worked out that I was able to go into the orphanage twice a week and work with this one boy to, um, to teach him how to be an illustrator. And he did do several illustrations in one of my uh, Charlotte Mason nature study journals. 
But in the process, several other kids from his um, from his group wanted to learn how to draw too. And so the director called me into her office one day and she said, the kids that you're working on, that you're working with in art are coming alive. They're confident, they're happy, they're peaceful. They're overcoming depression and doing better in school. Mm. Can you help us with more kids? And I said, well, I could probably take on about five more kids. And she said, well, do you think you could come teach group classes? I, and then I was, okay, sure, whatever God wants to do. And I began going to the orphanage, just me and my translator, and started doing six art classes each week in the orphanage. And um, then they uh, gave me the opportunity to work with the preschoolers. And that's when I saw one of the little girls mm. that I had seen at that Christmas uh, play. And... I took a picture of her and I sent her uh, the photo to a friend of mine who uh, helps families who want to adopt. And I said, do you know who this little girl is and if she's available for adoption? And she said, yes, she is available for adoption, but she's the youngest in a sibling group of five children ranging in age from five years old to 15 years old. Oh, wow. Wow. And I knew that was going to be impossible. Mm. So then um, I just kept quiet. I didn't tell my husband at this point that I had this idea about adopting these five kids because the whole idea of it seemed really overwhelming to me. Well, I guess I can see why. (laughs) I'm like, I have 10 children already, Lord. Um, And... Um, my husband, I know, would absolutely not want to adopt teenagers because my parents adopted a teenager and his parents fostered a teenage girl. And um, my parents and his parents both had really difficult bonding experiences with these girls Mm -hmm. and a lot of problems with uh, orphanage behaviors and foster kid behaviors that they felt like it it was, you know, when we told them we wanted to adopt, they're like, yeah, but only adopt babies and toddlers because mm-hmm. we know what it's like to adopt, a, you know, teenagers. Right, right. And so um, we just, I just decided, okay, well, I'm just going to put this in God's hands and just keep going to the orphanage and just keep loving these kids and see what God's going to do. But at the same time, we decided we were going to begin the adoption process, not knowing what children we were going to adopt and still with the idea of uh, adopting children five years old and younger. Right, right. Wow. And so eventually, so then connection? So then what I wanted to do is kind of see these other kids and figure out which ones they are. I had one photo and I didn't want to go into the orphanage and like scope out kids to adopt, but I just kind of just patiently waited for the opportunity to find out who the siblings were. And as I got to know each one, I fell in love with all of them. Mm. And so at that point, I, every time I see these kids, I see my children. And so then I just had to tell my husband, I think I found the kids that we should adopt. And he's like, how old are they? And I'm like, 
five through 15. He was like a teenage girl. No, no, no. And he was like, no, 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 no. this is not going to work. And, uh, and I said, well, you should just meet them. And so he came with me uh, the first time to help with the, um, with the art classes. And he brought his guitar and he added music to the art class. And in the process, he met the kids and immediately he was like, okay, they're ours. Let's do whatever it takes. But then there was the whole idea of, wait a minute, now we have to do a home study and we actually have to be approved to add five more children to our 10. Right. Is that even going to be possible? Mm -hmm. And we really were trying to hold back our hearts from falling in love with these kids because we weren't sure if it was going to even be possible to be approved to add five more children to our family. Mm. We had to fly the social worker to Ukraine to do the home study there. And also, um, also just, I mean, it was a big process at the time when we had a home base in Florida and we had a home in, um, Ukraine, and she had to do a home study for both locations. Oh, wow. And so after she completed the whole process, she said to us that, after, you know, she interviewed all the kids, she met the family, she evaluated the finances. And she told me, she's like, I know that you want, in your mind, you want to adopt little ones. She's like, but I think that your family would be a wonderful place for a sibling group with older girls because your older girls are so loving, so strong, so uh, gracious, and so just so sweet. She's like, I think you've got this. You could do this. And when we got the home study back, she approved us for six children from newborn to age 17. Wow. And, um, and all, the, all the paperwork went through. The process took about 10 months. And we were able to bring them home in March. Wow. And so this is March of last year? Yeah. It hasn't been very long at all. Wow. So tell me how the adoption process affected homeschooling your kids. So we have, um, the way we homeschool is very relaxed, peaceful. We do uh, delight-directed learning. Mm-hmm. We also call it fun schooling at our house. Mm-hmm. It's very much oriented around the passions of our kids, what they want to be when they grow up, and a lot of little, uh, a lot of little bits from Charlotte Mason. Mm. And um, when I had my last baby, the tenth, I really was feeling exhausted with my homeschooling method because I was creating a curriculum an individualized curriculum every few months for every child based on their interests, their passion, blending in all the Charlotte Mason stuff I believe in. And it was really wearing me out to organize the the homeschooling for all those children. And I had the teenagers who were getting more and more serious about the careers they were pursuing, the businesses they were starting. And I thought there has got to be a way that I can 
create a homeschooling method for my kids so that I don't have to tell them what to do every day. Mm -hmm. And I had an idea for a homeschooling journal that would guide them through the process of their daily homeschool routine without me having to tell them what to do. Right. And so I created a do-it-yourself homeschool journal for my own kids where they work, they were working through 10 pages a day. One page tells them to do their nature study. One page tells them to do an hour of reading time. One page has a logic game, an art project, their math page. And everything was organized around their stack of library books and their online schooling. And so they would just work through their 10 pages and it would cover everything. It would cover the nature study, the copy work, mm. their online math program, their, um, their research, their career goals. And so when my new baby came, my goal was to give them each the six-week homeschool journal that was going to allow me to focus on the new baby and them to homeschool themselves. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Mm. It worked. That is awesome. So what I'm seeing here and what I'm hearing you say is how the Lord led you into homeschooling in a way that worked for your particular family. And I think this is something that so many moms struggle with, or maybe don't even realize they can do. And that is to really take the time to ask God what he has for your family without comparing yourself to everyone else and listening to all these voices telling you, you have to do this and you have to do that and not taking the time to slow down and really hear the Lord's voice, really get to know your kids. You know, obviously you clearly knew your children because you've been creating some curriculum for them and all that, but you also saw a need for change. And I think that's where when we find ourselves exhausted and worn out, that is, that's a, to me, just a big red flag of God saying we need to change directions. And, and instead of trying to figure that out on our own, um, we go to the Lord. And we just, you know, Lord, what do you have for our family? Because only he knows the purposes that he has for our kids and what the Mm -hmm. future looks like. We have no idea. And we're silly to even think that we could prepare them for it without his help, you know? And, and some of us try to ride the fence and, you know, do a little bit of everything. And that's frustrating too, because, um, Mm -hmm. because it's not intentional. We want to be hitting the target. You know, I I think about it like um, if you're shooting uh, one arrow one or two arrows and just hitting the target as opposed to, you know, shooting 12 just randomly and hoping that it lands in the target. There's yeah. a big difference between the two of those things. And um, I, I was really excited to see um, how this sort of played out in your, in your daughter, Anna's life. She's, um, right. uh, tell me just a, really quickly about her story because I know um, she's recently, she's written a, a musical production. It's being yeah. produced. Can you tell us real quickly what's going so on with that? When, when I started homeschooling my first son, he was like the dream child. Mm-hmm. He was the child that was reading when he was four and he loved classical education. He mm-hmm. absolutely loved it. And, and I thought I was this awesome homeschool mom. And then Anna comes along and nothing academic worked for her. Wow. All she wanted to do was sing, draw, dance, 
and make messes in the kitchen. <laughs> Play with animals. Right. She was miserable anytime we tried to have a reading lesson. And I mean, she would cry, she would whine, she would, she would get depressed. And, um, and so she became the focus of my, I had, when she was seven, I had four or five little ones younger than her. Mm -hmm. And I had so much mom guilt. All I was doing was focusing on trying to get Anna to read because I was getting a lot of shame from relatives Mm -hmm. that I was failing as a homeschooling mom. Mm -hmm. And one day, you know, I even got tutoring for her. I, I tried everything. Nothing worked. Tried so many expensive curriculums. Phonics would not work. Teach your child read 100 easy lessons. We did lesson one like 30 times. <laughs> we never got it. It's almost her ninth birthday and she can't read the word dad. Hmm. And she's and she's brilliant. She won like first place in art contests. She's Her artwork is like photographic, realistic, beautiful artwork. She sings beautifully. She was so talented, but she could not read or write. And she said to me, Mom, I will never know the difference between a lowercase d and a lowercase b. So why don't you just quit trying to make me learn to read? <laughs> she said, in fact, I mean, she talks to me like a little adult. In fact, I don't need to learn to read, Mom. I'm going to be an artist and a mommy when I grow up. So why do I have to read anyway? And I said... To her, Anna, God gave us the Bible, and he wouldn't have given us a book if he wasn't going to give you the ability to read it. Mm. And she was crying, I was crying, and I'm, and I'm just crying out to God, like, God, why would you give us the Bible if I can't teach this child to read? So I enrolled her in more tutoring, and they, they, um, the tutor did not see dyslexia. But one day there was a substitute tutor that came in who was a dyslexia specialist who spent an hour with her. And at the end of the lesson, the specialist met with me and she said, honey, everything you're trying with your child is not going to work. She's dyslexic. And I've like had all this fear wash over me and my child has this horrible disease. And uh, so I went, uh, I went online and I bought every book I could find on dyslexia. And I just began studying dyslexia and praying, God, show me what to do. And one day um, I watched this TED Talk, how, uh, how do schools kill creativity by oh, Sir Ken Robinson. I love that one. And I loved it. And when, um, when the doctor said to Jillian's mother, your child is not sick, she's a dancer, it hit me. Mm. And I said, I'm going to let Anna major in the arts until she's ready to learn to read. Oh. And I was, I was watching Anna draw the characters from Pride and Prejudice. She loved musicals. She loved historical movies. And so like, okay, you can watch musicals, documentaries, you can dance, you can draw. I'm going to focus on the other kids. You are going to major in the arts. I took her to the art store, let her buy whatever she wanted, and I stopped trying. Mm. But then one day I was watching her draw, And I said, Anna, how are you doing that so perfectly? And she's like, well, I just look at the photograph. I imagine in my mind. And then I project the image onto my paper and I trace it. It's so easy. Hmm. And she's like, all I'm doing is tracing my imagination, mom. 
And I thought there's got to be a way to use art to teach her to read. And so I started making these little art games and sneaking the B's and the D's and all these little missing pictures. And she would complete these little logic games perfectly. And then I began to trans to kind of wean away the art and transition these games into um, letters until after I did about 100 of these little games with her, she could recognize all the symbols and all the words with no problem at all. Then she started reading comic books. Then she started reading chapter books. And within three months, she was reading on grade level, slower than her sister, mm-hmm. but she was reading wow. and she was enjoying it. Wow. It just, and, oh, um, it's such it a testimony. God just gave me the insight to use art and logic mm-hmm. to trick her brain into processing right. the reading and the writing. And right. then she couldn't spell and she couldn't write, but she could read. And then she's about 12 years old and she's writing these beautiful songs and poems and her spelling was horrible but she was she was writing these songs and then she was singing and i knew that this was her gift and um so i really prayed what do i do to encourage her in this gift and i decided that she's just going to continue to major in the arts and I got a uh, singing and songwriting coach for her, Christine Dente from the uh, Christian band Out of the Gray, began working with her and coaching her. And within two years, she wrote a musical about the, about the life of Jesus. And she did learn to read the Bible. Mm. And my prayer was, God, show me how to teach this child so she can read the Bible. The Bible became her passion. And, af- and she had a love for musicals. And she said, if I could put the Bible into a musical in the style that my generation loves, maybe they'd be curious Mm. about the story of Jesus. And uh, so that was her senior project was uh, producing this musical. And now it's so beautiful. We've had people contribute to this project from... Poland, from Ukraine, from Jerusalem, from New York, from Singapore, from Los Angeles, from Atlanta, from all over the world, musicians, brilliant musicians have come together to work on her project. It's called His Story, the Musical, and she's uh, released two singles at Christmas time about um, the birth of Jesus. So uh, God had a plan for her. And I needed to trust. Exactly. She never, she never did any like normal tests. She didn't do right. any normal curriculum. Mm-hmm. I didn't even give her a math curriculum, except occasionally some Khan Academy and some, uh, some economics. She majored in the arts, and she's she's also published ten books. Several were best selling on Amazon for uh, dyslexic kids. Wow. And so she has a passive income from her royalties that she could support herself. And this just, to me, I just look at this and I say, God is so big. He, we, we tend to put everything in a box, even God in a box when it comes to homeschooling our kids. And he has such big, such, so much Mm -hmm. bigger plans than we do for our kids. And so I just want to challenge moms out there to, 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 
listen to um, the message behind this story, which is essentially follow the Lord's lead. Don't be afraid to do things the way God is leading you to do it. Tune into his voice, tune into your kids. And Mm -hmm. it can be such an adventure and such a, um, it it grows your faith, but it also, um, it also grows your kids' faith. Um, Mm -hmm. And just when we, when we trust God with them, I just think about how they're watching that. We're modeling that relationship with God and, and our trust in God's faithfulness. And they learn to pattern after that. And then they also see that we love them enough to think outside the box and do what's best for them. And yeah. um, I think that's just so important and just yeah. such an important message there. But I want to get back to the adoption yeah. um, so- topic. So with the adoption, you know, because of the method of homeschooling that we had embraced for the 10 children we already had, I was so set free. Mm. And our days were peaceful. The kids Mm. were passionately studying the things they loved. They were thriving. They were peaceful. We, We really let go of anything that we really believe was irrelevant to their calling. Mm -hmm. Because I really prayed, God, does this child in your kingdom and for your glory and honor, does this child really need to study algebra? Right. And because just because society says the child needs algebra, does God say this child needs algebra? Mm -hmm. No, this child needs to learn how to build websites. Right. So right. Exactly. Like all these things that society says children need to learn. What does God want this child to learn? That's the and so. That's the most important question. Absolutely. And I feel like that's, it's, our story is similar in so many ways. And I think some of it could be just having had so many children, you, you, it kind of forces you into this place of, Lord, I can't do this the way everyone else is doing it. I can't. And so, so then we're, we're, um, we get to that point where we're just, you know what, Lord, I'm going to do it the way you want me to do it. Because number one, I want what's best for my kids. I want what you want for these kids. And you know better than I do what that is. And I want to enjoy this process. This whole homeschooling journey, I think, is meant to be a joyful, um, when you, when you, mentioned the word peaceful. We had so much of that in our home Mm -hmm. through these homeschooling years. And I am almost afraid to say it out loud to people because I I, I think I don't want to sound like we have it all together because we don't. It was really about trusting God more than it was about having the perfect plan. (laughs) Right. And And it is. And when we brought the children home, I really felt like we are not going to push school and academics in the first year. Mm -hmm. We're going to just let them bond. We're just going to let them learn what it is to be a part of the family. We're going to let them heal. We're going to respond, but we're going to help them discover their passions and their gifts and their talents. Mm. And so as they came home, um, all the kids are a couple years behind emotionally because of the trauma And what happened, you know, with the loss of their parents and with the horrible experiences in uh, various orphanages. So when they came home, it was not a time to focus on education. It was time to focus on healing and bonding. And we decided that we weren't going to push homeschooling at all. Mm. 
but they saw the other kids homeschooling and saw the other kids enjoying homeschooling and loving it and learning it and being passionate about it, that they wanted to do the same thing. And so I really began to just ask them, what do you love? And the oldest, who was 16, and she still is 16. She's about to have uh, her 17th birthday. She loves monkeys. She loves flowers. She loves photography. So we got her a camera, and we we just began to encourage her. We got her a bunch of books about monkeys and flowers and photography, and we put them all in a basket. And she also began using the dyslexia games that we uh, had created originally for Anna, but they've been become very popular. And I mean, thousands and thousands of kids have now learned to uh, read and write and spell with the dyslexia games all over the world. And I thought this would be perfect for a child who's learning English as a second language because it's logic-based. Right. And she loved the dyslexia games. And she just she just breezed right through them. She really loved them. It really helped her with logic, with creativity, with thinking skills. And by the time she was finished, she was actually reading, writing, spelling, speaking in English. Mm, she can read the so Bible. She's only been speaking English for four months. And she can, she struggles, you know, with the bigger words, right. but she can read. And, you know, she's probably on the, level of like a I don't know maybe like a third grade level Mm -hmm. but she's only been speaking English for four months but she loved the dyslexia games and all the kids loved the dyslexia games because it's fun and it's logic based but they're learning the um you know the English alphabet they don't they have the Cyrillic alphabet there so they needed to learn how to read write spell Mm -hmm. in English and I wasn't even going to start with reading, right, writing, right. spelling, but they wanted to. They wanted to join in with what the other kids were doing. Right. And they wanted the same books as the kids their own age. Right. And oh, that's so funny. <laughs> the, um, the 11-year-old girl that we adopted wanted to do the same schoolwork as my 10-year-old biological daughter and my 11-year-old biological daughter. And so I'm like, okay, here you go. And the girls, um, my other daughters, taught her how to do it. Hmm. And I told her it's fine. She can copy their works. She can, it's, she's just learning. They can help her. And she's doing the same schoolwork as my daughters that are her age. Wow. And, wow. Um, and she's loving it. And they're, just... they're really loving it. That is, that is amazing. And you know, it, it makes so much sense. It's like a, um, just a sort of an organic, for lack of a better term, sort of an organic approach, basically what we're doing. And this is what we should do, not just obviously with um, adopted children, but also with, uh, you know, our own children in homeschooling what we really want to do is find their passions because when they find mm-hmm. the, when, when they're pursuing the things they're interested in, they automatically want to learn yeah, how to so read, true. how to write. And, and I think for the most part, um, our culture and our educational system has it completely backwards. Right. And, and it just sucks all the life and all the joy out of it. And um, I love that because they saw 
learning happening in such a fun and peaceful way, it was attractive to them. It was something they wanted as well. And I just love that. Um, So can you share with us what scriptures uh, you use to give uh, give you strength as you prepared and adjusted um, to the new family members? There's, there's a couple of verses that really just play through my mind regularly, and I'll mm-hmm. share those with you. One is, uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Mm-hmm. And I find that if I'm really striving and struggling and pushing and trying to really force peace, force progress, force, you know, if, Mm -hmm. if it's, if it's hard for me and I'm struggling, then I'm not connecting with my children and mothering in his spirit. Right. Right. So to me, it's kind of when I'm, when it's hard and I feel defeated, then maybe I'm taking on my own my own expectations and not God's. Right, right. And um, then the other one is, um, he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Mm. And um, when when you welcome children into your family who have experienced a lot of trauma, and even abuse that plays out in the way they interact with the other kids, in the way they respond to your love and the way, I mean, they have, there are many, many orphanage behaviors that kids need to figure out don't work in a family. Mm -hmm. Like lying, stealing, hoarding food, punching other kids to get what they want, uh, abusing pets, um, sneaking, hiding, uh, taking other people's things, having no sense of personal ownership, no respect for personal ownership, and um, big children bullying little children. There's all this stuff is perfectly normal for kids who have spent a lot of time in an orphanage. So in the first three months after the adoption, the orphanage behaviors were being worked out and um, a friend who had adopted four kids from Ukraine, she said, don't focus on behavior in the first year, focus on bonding. Mm. And a lot of the behaviors are going to work themselves out as the children realize that those behaviors don't have any fruit in a family setting. So many, many of the orphanage behaviors and the trauma behaviors have really faded away. I mean, when we came, they would eat nothing but bread and noodles. Now they love everything. Mm. And they used to, they would take, uh, they would take yogurts and hide them under their pillow. I mean, it was like, you know, attracting critters to their bedrooms. (laughs) Just, there were so many things that they were doing in the beginning, but just through bonding and loving and establishing peace, giving them freedom to just feel loved and be part of a family. So many of those things, they just faded away. Mm. And I'd say four of the kids, the four younger ones, if you were to come to my house and meet my family today, you would have no idea that these kids have only been part of the family for nine months. Mm. You would think that they've been with us a long time because they, they're just part, they've just 
they're just like the rest of the kids in so many ways. They look different. They, they have, you know, dark skin, black hair, brown eyes. The rest of the kids have blue eyes. And the oldest has had the most struggles, but she loves us. She loves her new sisters and she really is thriving, but it was a lot harder for her because she had so many connections and a boyfriend and she had a cell phone and she had uh, she had Instagram friends from all over the world who were predators. And mm. she had she had to let go of her past lifestyle. And um, and so it's been a lot harder, but she is really, really thriving. It just took it took longer for her to to learn how to trust and bond and to be a daughter. She took care of the other kids for two years when she was nine to 11 years old after they, the parents deserted them. Mm. And so she was the little mama right, and, right. You know, for so long and she needed to learn how to be a daughter. And, mm-hmm. um, and for her, homeschooling is very different because she's 16 and um, she speaks five languages beautifully. And uh, she speaks Hungarian, Italian, Ukrainian, Transcarpathian, English, and Russian. So that makes six now that she speaks English. And she's very gifted in her own ways. But you can't start, you, you can't expect to give her an American education in the next two years and her to be able to do what any other 18-year-old can do because right. she just needs to heal. Mm-hmm. And so we're really focused more on skills rather than academics with her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so and, this is all kind of part of your cocooning phase. A lot of what you're mm-hmm. describing and the, what your life has been over the last months have, have been that cocooning phase. Right. And, and that's where the, you know, the reading, writing, and arithmetic is on the back burner and the bonding and the becoming a family is, is the main focus. Right. And so when it came to things like, hoarding yogurt under the pillow and things like that. How did you handle that? How do you address that in a loving way? Um, Because obviously, you know, you said you don't want to focus on behavior, but how do you address things like that when they come up? So we, we have uh, two nine-year-old boys and there are only boys at home because our oldest son is now married and he's uh, living in Ukraine. He's a volunteer there and on his own. So we have two little guys, nine years old, Uh, Joseph and Alex, and we discovered that Alex was hiding food under his pillow and like smushed yogurts and the bugs were getting into it. And, um, and, you know, we came and like, Alex, do you see that, um, you know, you have all this food and there's bugs under your pillow. It's, it's really yucky. You really shouldn't do that. And I took him to the refrigerator and like, look, this is where we keep the food and we have plenty of food. You have everything you need. You, you don't live at an orphanage anymore. You're in a family. And anytime you're hungry, we will give you food. You don't have to hide the food. We'll give you food. And he's like, oh, okay. And then he stopped hoarding food. <laughs> he just needed to be reassured that he's not going to go hungry. Right. If he's hungry, we'll give him food. And right. um, it, so it was actually that simple, just right. realizing that he doesn't need to do that anymore. And sometimes we do have to tell them that you're in a family now. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to lie about these things because even if you do something wrong, no one's going to hurt you. 
-hmm. Everything's going to be okay. It's better to tell the truth and then we can fix the problem. You're no one's going to hit you. No one's going to punch you. No, nothing Mm -hmm. bad is going to happen to you if you tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And, um, because a lot of the survival skills of living in an orphanage, uh, it's survival, right? You know, hiding the food because you didn't, you know, they might be serving fish at the next meal, which all the kids refuse to eat and they serve fish a lot. And, you know, so they would take food from the lunch so that they would have something to eat when they refused to eat the fish at dinner. And then before they were in the orphanage, they often didn't have enough food. Mm. And uh, so uh, the bullying is another thing that we really had to help them understand that you don't need to hit somebody to get what you want. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the 95% of the bullying, it just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so, um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, understanding what, where the behavior is coming from. It's, it's coming from um, a need that they think is not going to be met. Right, exactly. And so being able to put a name on it and explain it and, and reassuring probably more than once that, um, that they don't need to be concerned about that and um, that, you know, their needs are going to be met. That need is, that particular need is going to be met. So it would really take a lot of um, focus and just intentionality in those first months to, um, to be able to do that and to be able to have that kind of margin in your days. Mm-hmm. Um this mom that asked me these questions, um, she said they are kind of a uh, an on-the-go homeschooling family, and mm-hmm. so they're going to have to really change their uh, kind of their the way that they do things in order to be able to to you know do this cocooning phase uh, well. Right. And I think that's important. It's it's one of those things where that's one of the many sacrifices that that people yeah. who are adopting make and uh, yeah and we had to make some big changes when we adopted mm-hmm. with our lifestyle mm-hmm. what kind and of one changes of those, well we were doing uh you know full-time volunteer work in Ukraine when we adopted them and our kids are um they are gypsy kids and in Ukraine Are you there? Okay, so I'm back recording again. I just paused it till you came back. So this is good. Um, So did I, did it go out when I was talking about how uh, the kids being gypsy? Yes, uh, right at the beginning, you were talking about how the kids were uh, gypsy kids. Right. And so if we would take them to a restaurant or take them to a swimming pool, the, um, the staff would say, oh, no, only white people allowed. Um, you know, we don't let gypsies come into our restaurant. We don't let gypsies come into our, uh, you know, into our swimming pool. And the, even in the church, there was prejudice. I mean, even, uh, you know, sweet, loving Ukrainian Christians were shocked that we would adopt gypsies. And um, we knew that they were not going to thrive if we stayed in Ukraine. And so um, 
we we were we almost went back to Florida because our home base was in Florida. But we really began to pray and we felt like the best place for our family in this season would be Hawaii. And it, our um, older daughters were planning on moving here when they graduated. And, um, and we thought, you know, maybe we should just go. And God opened the doors, provided a home. And we ended up, instead of going back to our home base in Florida, we decided we were going to live here and just bond as a family in this beautiful this beautiful healing place. And um, the church we were part of, a Ukrainian lady was organizing the children's ministry. So we had someone here in the church who was able to communicate with the kids when uh, they were in the process of still learning English. So they had someone at the church here who could help oh, that's us. Great. And that was, there were so many things, but we wanted to be in a place where there would just be healing for them. And they blend right in with the Hawaiian kids. You would never know, uh, know the difference. And for them just fitting in with the, um, the majority of the people on our Island, because this is a very, you know, uh, so many cultures are here. We have so mm-hmm. many people from the Philippines, from Native Hawaiians, from Asia, and it's just a beautiful. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful community on this island of so many cultures that there's no prejudice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's actually been very healing for them. Part of God's plan that we didn't anticipate, mm. but that He had in mind for them to be in a place where they were no longer persecuted for the color their skin. So Mm. it's been really sweet. That is awesome. God is so good. We have time for one last question. And this is um, a question about uh, how do you nurture your relationship with your husband during the adoption process? And especially I would think that once the children came home, um, was there anything you had to do differently or did you have something pretty well in place that continued to work well? So we had always had our, um, had a day when, not a date night, but we would get out at least once a week, three or four hours, just the two of us, just to really talk and connect and plan and spend time together, just to enjoy our friendship and our love for each other. And about once every other month, we would often get away on a little weekend trip. And, um, and then our, just our part of the house was just a little peaceful oasis for us. And mm-hmm. when we adopted the, um, the new children, we felt like we were never going to get out of our house again, because um, our little guy would have horrible meltdowns twice a day. Mm. And it went on for at least two months. It started out, he would have these huge meltdowns, like very like autistic type of meltdowns mm-hmm. um, twice a day. And they would last for about an hour. And then it was once a day. And then it was about four times a week. And then it was about once a week. And it, and so we really had to learn to just make our time together really special and focus on each other whenever we could because you know getting out of the house and going on a date wasn't an option in the first three months Mm -hmm. after 
the adoption. Right. But we really did make sure we spent time alone together. And um, then we have we have an 18-year-old daughter, a 17-year-old daughter who are who have so much experience. I mean, they were there at the birth of all the babies. They have so much experience, so much patience. They can they can totally run the house. And I mean, I'm in the, a stage of parenting where I have five teenage daughters and they manage the house so I can focus on bonding with the kids. And um, so once the kids were settled and the meltdown stopped, my older daughters have been willing to babysit one day a week where my husband and I get out and we go, we go to the beach, just the two of us. We go out to a restaurant, we take a walk and... Um, and we have that time we really need to reconnect. And then another thing we do is we have room time for all the kids. Eight o'clock is room time. Everybody, you can go, you go to your room, you can listen to music, you can read books, but you need to just settle down and go have your quiet time. And so we try by eight o'clock to have a quiet house. And so at that time, we just get to spend time together mm -hmm. and the kids are all doing their own thing, and um, the um, we have a lot of middle uh, our middle girls. We have several girls that are ages ten to twelve, and they want to have a party every night. <laughs> <laughs> and so, as, so as long as they are doing that in their room, <laughs> it's okay. Right. But um, the party every night—that's at least they're bonding. That's what I was thinking. I'm thinking that what great bonding time for them. And so, uh, so of course, I have, I have one more question that I have to ask mm -hmm. because it just came to mind. And I think other parents might be wondering the same thing. So, um, you know, your children in this process of, you know, you and your husband, you talked about how you, how you all came to the conclusion that you needed to adopt these five kids. And so how did you tell your children and, and how did they do with that? How did you present it to them and how, um, as you went through the process, um, how did they handle that adjustment? So we do a lot of uh, reading aloud to our kids, and we had read to them the uh, biography of George Mueller and Kisses from Katie and different books about people who really had a heart for orphans. Mm -hmm. And um, so our kids had a heart for orphans. And um, hold on, my little one is here. I love that little voice. <laughs> I decided not to stop recording while you were doing that because I was just enjoying that little voice so much. <laughs> so, um, so where was I? You were reading, you read oh, books like George Mueller, well, Kisses from Our Kiki. kids really had a heart for, for orphans. Mm. And my, my little boy... Joseph, he said he, God spoke to him. This was when we were still thinking of adopting two. He told me, mom, God said we're going to adopt five kids and one of them is going to be a boy my age. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, so he had it in his mind that we were going to adopt five kids. And I believe God really did speak to him. We find out later. Yes. And, you know, at the time when he told us this, we just kind of laughed about it. 
And uh, then later he's like, see, mom, God really was speaking to me. And, um, <laughs> but God had prepared each child in their own way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to receive. I think the one that had the hardest time is our five-year-old. Mm. And she really, I mean, it was really hard to see her just acting depressed mm-hmm. in the first two months after the adoption. And we recognized that. But um, we had had a situation in Ukraine where our neighbor threatened to kill our adopted kids because they were gypsies. And we ended up evacuating immediately and going to stay with friends. And we never returned to that house. It was pretty traumatic. Mm. And that event was really traumatic for my five-year-old because we didn't know what was going on with her. But when everybody went back to get the stuff, they didn't bring her toys. Okay. And so when we discovered that because during that evacuation, we didn't bring her toys, I took her shopping, she got new toys, and then she was happy again. But we had thought that it was adoption trauma where really it was the- (laughs) It was toy trauma. (laughs) Yeah. There was some some confusion and it was hard for her to see the bullying because she's one of the littlest. Right. And um, and it's So I really had to keep her close. Right. And I think that's important, you know, just having that security while making these adjustments. I love that, uh, what you just said about keeping them close, just knowing um, the important things haven't changed and we're still Mm -hmm. here and all of that. But it's difficult for younger children to process this, these types of things. And yet if God has called us to this, he has got that covered and he'll give us wisdom along the way. And we can trust fully um, in his good plan for our family. Well, I want to just let everybody know that Sarah has um, very generously offered to do a giveaway. And so she's going to give away uh, three resources. Um, Do you want to give those away as a, as a package? Because it sounded like it was something you would want to. I was thinking, I would like to give them to three different people. Okay. And so I don't know how it works. If you can comment which, you know, which of these gifts would be the most meaningful to you. Yes. And, um, yes. One is the Dyslexia Games Therapy, and it's a set of six books or eight books, workbooks from dyslexiagames.com. And it's what I use to get started with my, um, with my kid, my new kids to, um, to transition to reading in English. And then the other one is my biography. It's called Windows to Our World. And it's the story of our family leading up to when we moved to Ukraine. And last of all, my my 12-year-old newly adopted daughter helped create her own curriculum journal. And it's a horse-themed fun schooling journal. And... um, and so I want to give away a copy of that. If you have a child who loves horses and is between age probably eight and 13, it would be a wonderful, it would be a wonderful homeschooling journal for that child. Great. Well, um, what I will do is list those three things in the podcast notes and uh, listeners, you, you'll need to go to my website, if you're listening from SoundCloud or iTunes, um, go to DorendaWilson.com and leave your comments in there. 
where uh, and and just mention which which resource you're interested in hopefully winning. So if you could do that, that would be great. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here with us today and sharing your heart. I just love your story. I feel like we could just talk for hours and hours and hours. And uh, yeah. so, well, we should do it again. Yeah, <laughs> we, that that sounds wonderful. And um, I also just Sarah is one of the. Uh, sponsors for the Unhurried Homeschooler Mentoring Course. And um, it, it completely makes sense as we're, we're both very much on the same page, um, just wanting our kids to enjoy their, you know, uh, to find their passions and let, you know, letting our kids learn at their own pace and in their own way. Mm-hmm. I just love that. And it's such a beautiful thing to watch that unfold. Um, but it does take faith to trust that, you know, um, God's going to help us uh, prepare them for life. And, you know, honestly, he, he does so much of it. That This is the thing that has just amazed me along the way is just how God has brought certain people into our lives and circumstances and experiences. And, and I was free to let go and just let mm-hmm. him do his work. And I just participated when, when, um, when he showed me that I needed to be part of it. <laughs> um, yes, but it really was his work. It's really peaceful when you let go of your own expectations and everyone else's expectations of what an education should be. Yes. And really receive God's heart and his plan for each child. And it's Mm. so peaceful, so beautiful, and it just works. It does. It does. Well, let's go ahead and pray. And uh, thank you, moms, for being here today. We hope you were encouraged. Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together. Um, God, I pray, we talked about a lot of different things. I pray that you would use um, this podcast in the lives of families who are adopting or families who are trying to support someone who's adopting. Um, Lord, just bring back to um, our minds the things that uh, you have for us, the things that we need to remember and to um, put into action, Lord. We just thank you so much for your love for us, for your faithfulness, and that you really are the one who um, who weaves our families together um, in, in you are also the one who wants to weave our homeschooling together. So we just pray that you would help us to be able to trust you, um, to be at peace with uh, waiting on you and following your good plan for our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.